a lot of the challenge around creating a great experience in the store has been, you just never know who's going to walk in your door at any point in time. And appointments were a necessity when you were trying for crowd control, but they do have the opportunity to turn into something that's truly helpful to the consumer and differentiating. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. All right, folks, we have a jam-packed conversation for you today, so I'm going to cut right to the heart of it. A few weeks back, I had the chance to sit down with Nikki Bayer, the VP of Innovation at Aptos. And if you don't know Nikki, she's had her experiences as a retail executive, as an analyst, and now she spends her days working closely with other retail executives to help them ramp up innovation and optimize their omni-channel experiences. So we get into a laundry list of things, largely revolving around the holiday season, what behaviors she thinks will stick, her take on some hot and interesting categories from a product perspective, and most importantly, what type of conversations retail executives need to be having internally to determine where to place their bets in the new year. So again, we cover a lot of ground in about 35 minutes or so. So get ready, prepare to take some notes, because I think if anything, you're going to leave today's episode with a lot of great ideas. Nikki, always good to catch up with you. Thanks so much for taking the time. Absolutely. My pleasure. So obviously you're a longtime friend of the Retail Touchpoints family, so I very much know you. And I don't think a lot of people out there listening right now do not know who you are, but let's just do it for the newbies out there. I always try to start high level, have folks share a little bit about themselves. So why don't you do that? Share about your history in retail and most importantly, what you do in your role at Aptos. Oh my gosh, my history in retail. Well, I'll keep that short and sweet, although it's been pretty lengthy and I don't really want to count the years, but I've been involved in every aspect of retail technology that you can genuinely be involved in as a retailer implementing it, as a consultant advising retailers on selecting and implementing, as a solution provider, and as an industry analyst commenting on all of the above. I am the VP of Retail Innovation for Aptos, which is an enterprise solution provider that is focused on the retail industry. And I focus on the future. I focus on the future as it relates to retail in general, and then how that is translated to our customers and our solutions. Yeah, it's really a, I could imagine, very fun space, but also probably a bit overwhelming at times because especially now there's so much going on. And I know the last time we worked together, it was around, I think, September, and we were starting to talk about the holiday season, what retailers need to do to ensure success, especially around the fulfillment experience, which has really come into the spotlight as of late with consumers trying to minimize store visits and all of that stuff. We even started to hear rumblings around the potential elongation of the holiday season, how the Sunday after Halloween would be like Orange Sunday or something like that. So <laughs> we'll, we'll get into some, some of that stuff. But I really want to get into the heart of some of the research and analysis that Aptos has done, because you keep a keen eye on consumer behaviors and also how retailers are adapting. So what have you been keeping track of since the last time we spoke around September or so? 
Yeah, definitely to see how retailers are positioning themselves for the holiday season. And I think a lot of the things that we were watching for are definitely happening now, have happened at this point, which is like an emphasis on the earlier parts of the season. Even now I see lots of ads like, don't wait. I'm getting emails from retailers saying, buy your stuff before the holiday shipping hits. So I think everybody's done a pretty good job of just trying to educate consumers that this holiday shopping season is going to be different than other holiday shopping seasons of the past, even to the point where some retailers have completely rolled back their Black Friday plans, not opening their stores and definitely not opening on Thanksgiving. So just not encouraging shoppers to congregate or go to places at times when there's going to be a lot of crowds. Yeah. And I think a lot of those considerations take careful planning. I know we've talked a bit about what if scenario planning and how that's been so challenging for retailers, especially because there really isn't an established baseline for us to plan around, right? Or or use as some sort of barometer or, or benchmark for planning for this type of thing. So it's definitely been interesting to see how all of this plays out. And I think one area that is especially fascinating to me is the fluid changes in in category level demand in particular. So I had a lot of conversations with folks talking about how more athleisure was in demand and skincare. And I feel like now it's kind of coming full circle. And I recently saw an article around how some people are actually looking for dressier clothes now because they're thinking, okay, nothing's changing, but I might as well look good and feel good. So I'm curious, what what shifts in purchase behaviors do you think are a bit more evergreen or kind of consistent? Whereas like others are a bit more like, oh, it just kind of ebbs and flows of like people kind of going through this and figuring it out as they go. Because I guess I'm just trying to look at the long view of Christmas time through the new year, like what categories may be consistently in demand or poised for positive results. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's interesting because athleisure has definitely been a big investment area in the spring and the summer, right? And And some of that is because the outdoors became your playground, right? If you can't go anywhere, at least you can go outside. And then also kind of that awareness if the gym is closed, then what am I going to do at home? And I think it is interesting. Like, I think there's some weariness. I want to feel like a human being again and (laughs) not not a slob. Maybe I'm projecting a little. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I feel it. I feel it myself. So there could definitely be a pushback against that. I mean, the one category that continues used to astound me in its performance is footwear. And the early days of the pandemic, it definitely was people buying a lot of sneakers and, and slippers and stuff like that. And I don't know that I see a bunch of people rushing out to buy stiletto heels per se, but that dressiness factor does not stop. I'm just, and I don't know where people are wearing these shoes. That's <laughs> it just continues to me. But, but I will say like, So once it started to get colder, there was a lot of speculation about people borrowing, and I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce the term, but there's like a term that's popular in the Nordics around not letting the winter stop you from living an outdoor life. And so that would mean, well, you need a hat and gloves and boots and some pretty hardcore winter wear if you're really going to try to do that, especially for the northern parts of our country. And 
I'm not sure that we really saw that materialize. People don't seem like they are taking that aspect of being outdoors quite as seriously. So that's one area where you might have tried to predict something, and I'm not sure that it came true, which to your point, anybody who's trying to predict any of this is throwing a dart at a dartboard and just seeing what they hit, really. Yeah. I mean, to tack on to your point around outdoor wear, I think one space... I've really been enjoying like watching, tracking, seeing what comes out of it is just general health and fitness, right? I mean, obviously the fitness industry, like gyms, sports clubs are are taking a, a significant hit, but on the other end of the spectrum, we're seeing this boon for services, right? I mean, I mean, Peloton's absolutely killing it with good reason, but we're also seeing blips of oh, like what can Lululemon do with their mirror acquisition? How are they going to optimize that and monetize that? So I'm getting a little bit off script here, but I'm curious about your thoughts on the fitness industry and if we're going to continue to see maybe a convergence of the tech, the services, and then the products ultimately, right? Because I mean, Peloton is really that, that ideal model of verticalization, right? So I mean, anything interesting that you're looking at? Or do you think that's kind of just like a hype cycle, so to speak? No, I mean, I would broaden it a little even to say wellness in general. And and some of those services that it's amazing to me, I think Peloton kind of underlines that whole idea of you're never going to get a spin cycle experience in your house. And it's like, well, yeah, actually you can. And I've seen services around guided meditation (laughs) where you thought you have to go to a place in order to have that. Well, no, you don't. I've even seen escape rooms now where somebody will walk through the room for you. And so you can have a remote group of people who are directing that person where to go and what to do. And they're wearing like a camera. So you get like a first person view of what they're seeing in the room. And you have to basically tell this person how to figure out how to get out of the room. And you've got a group of people like shouting directions at them and and all of that kind of stuff. So I think on the services front, I do see people continuing to discover what's possible to actually deliver at home. That said, I think for sure we'll see the pendulum swing back completely in the other direction, right? Now that there seems to be a light at the end of the tunnel and a vaccine seems not just probable, but like likely. And while we don't know exactly when everybody will be able to have it, I have a feeling that as soon as enough people get it, there's going to be a rush return to in-person experiences. And we'll probably have to live through that through another six to 12 months after that before we kind of settle on where the balance is going forward, right? We'll have to kind of go between those two extremes. Yeah, I think that's a good point. So I do want to swing back to that. But first, you kind of made reference to there being a light at the end of the tunnel and therefore the in-person experience is always going to be relevant in some way, maybe not to the capacity that it was at the height of experiential retail being like this big trend around like events and things like that. They'll still exist, but maybe in a different lens or a different context. So we're, we're kind of getting into consumer behaviors here. And Aptos is all about omni-channel. You guys always talk about the convergence of product and experience and and what the possibilities are, how tech fuels that, which is, I could talk hours and hours about that. So let's start 
high level. I mean, what kind of shopping behaviors are you seeing really come to the forefront, I guess, from the retailer's perspective, right? Because you work very closely with the retail executives, your customers, hearing their challenges, their priorities. Are there any specific behaviors that they're saying, ah, we need a strategy for that. We need to figure out how to navigate X. Like, what would that be? Yeah, I mean, probably still, I would say that within the omni-channel realm, I mean, because for sure, most of the volume is being driven by online and omni-channel behavior. Store sales are still down compared to last year significantly. And so there's more desire to be able to kind of open up and and have more capability in that transfer of the online shopping experience into the store. So buy online, pick up in store, pick up at curbside. I think historically they viewed that as very transactional. And now they're starting to think of that more as a lengthy process where you have multiple opportunities to continue to influence the customer all the way up until they actually sort of load that product in their car and drive away. So being able to provide recommendations or rope the sales associate into that sales process so that they're not just some faceless, nameless person who's picking the order and making it available to the consumer when they get there, but but somebody who's participating with that consumer in an assisted sale, even though most of that activity is handled remotely, I still see a lot of interest in kind of cracking open that kind of omni-channel use case. Yeah. Great point, because I know... Personally, I go to Target and Walmart probably bi-weekly, if not weekly. I mean, it's just they're just part of my staple trips and I don't leave the house often right now. So then you start to recognize people, you start to know people, like even if you just say hi or give a friendly nod. So it allows you to kind of have that personal experience, even if it's not full on face to face, you know, like directly engaging for a prolonged period of time, there's still that familiar nature to it, I guess. So like, even if you're doing a lot of this digitally and contactless, you still have that touch point of like, okay, this is still my store. These are still like my people, so to speak. So you're you're kind of making it as personal as you can be using digital technology. Yeah. And having that, being able to facilitate that relationship too. Like we just ordered something from a local restaurant and they actually called us and said, Hey, we know that this is a staple. You guys always order it and you love it, but we want to let you know that that we're out, but we wanted you to try this, right? And that kind of interaction, being able to insert that in the process, not everybody's super excited about a phone call sometimes, right? They're like, well, that's why I did this online instead of trying to call the store. But but recognizing that, hey, I know who you are, you know who I am, I know things about you that can help me serve you so that you don't have any unexpected surprises or so that I can do something that maybe delights you a little as a customer. I think there's still plenty of opportunity to tap into that. And I think retailers have been so focused on just getting the capability set up and running smoothly that they really haven't focused on optimizing it. And and I think they should. I don't think that this behavior is going to go away. The convenience factor is very high. Take away pandemic fears. It's still super convenient. And I do see retailers starting now to look beyond the holiday season because, right, they're always a little bit ahead of, of where the consumer is. And they are starting to turn and look ahead to the future and start planning for that future. 
Yeah. So just to put a bow on that point, so they're taking something that was very utility-based. So curbside pickup, for example, right? They rushed to get this stood up to adapt to consumer needs, to create a safe contactless experience as needed, got it stood up quickly, efficiently. So that's kind of the, the standard, I guess you could say, or the baseline. So the next stage is for them to think, how can I differentiate this? And how can I bring the brand and our people into the mix? And I guess some people argue people are the brand and vice versa. So I guess that's kind of the next tier. Yeah, I would. I mean, some people might argue as to whether or not pickup at curbside in particular is going to stick around. And I have to say, like, from my personal experience, it's been extremely variable (laughs) what kind of quality of experience you're going to get with a pickup experience. And there's lots of cases where the instructions aren't entirely clear and you're not entirely sure where to go. And then there's just so much uncertainty about it that you're kind of like, oh, forget about it. I'm I'm just not going to do this again. So I'm not sure that curbside itself will stick. But the idea of a consumer being able to order something and in a short amount of time, go to the store and get it one way or another, I think that for sure is going to stick around. And then, yeah, how do you optimize that now? How do you make that not just the most efficient experience, but the best experience for the consumer? Because sometimes efficiency isn't everything. So you have to look at all the aspects of that interaction to make sure that you're giving the customer absolutely everything that you possibly can. Yeah. And then I guess on the flip side too, right? Like brands and retailers are starting to think about okay, what can I do from a digital perspective to not replace, but maybe mirror or replicate in a way the best of the store? So for example, a lot of brands embracing video chat or live streaming now is a huge trend that, that's really starting to pick up momentum. So I guess that, that's part of it as well, right? Like what kind of goes into the mix to support some of the digital or physical experience rather that maybe has to be toned down or or maybe looks a little bit different right now. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I'm not sure like from the consumer's perspective, video in the store is a way to get around the constraints that you have to operate in where you don't want to be spending time indoors with other people. But then that idea of setting an appointment, I'm not sure that that one's going to go away. Um, The idea that I can pick a time when I am definitely going to be in the store and be assured that there's going to be somebody there who's going to help me. And then how much predictability that gives a retailer in terms of knowing who's coming and when they're coming and maybe even starting to bring in some of the things that they're interested in looking at or some of the things that they've been shopping online. A lot of the challenge around creating a great experience in the store has been, you just never know who's going to walk in your door at any point in time. And appointments were a necessity when you were trying for crowd control, but they do have the opportunity to turn into something that's truly helpful to the consumer and differentiating. Yeah, the appointment setting capabilities is definitely a great one. And I I feel like sometimes it kind of goes under the radar because it's like so simple for some retailers and like it's already baked in. Like I'm thinking about like the Genius Bar, for example, that like that's always been there. And also for the Apple store, that's always been a core capability. But you're right, it, it gives the associate predictability, like from a workforce planning standpoint, from a 
service standpoint, but it also improves transparency for the consumer, right? I mean, it kind of allows them to see, okay, I have this day, I have this time, and they can kind of plan their day. But also, like, if they're feeling extra cautious, they can really emphasize that that safety experience for themselves. I know Apple worked pretty diligently to figure out what needed to be done from that lens of their service experience to make sure it was as safe for both associates and consumers. So I I definitely think that's going to be a trend to watch. Yeah. Yep. No, that's excellent. So, I mean, obviously you do a lot of work with retailers. You've been having a lot of conversations. Are there any standout examples of Aptos clients or otherwise of brands that have really stepped up to the plate, so to speak, um, whether it be standing up these experiences to best serve their customers in this current climate, or maybe they've even gone the extra mile to start to fully optimize and maximize engagement. Are are there any examples that really rise to the top for you? Yeah, I've got a couple. So Vitamin Shop is one, an Aptos customer. And so in the early days of the pandemic, they were forced to ration the number of people that came into the store at any given point in time. And because they were considered an essential retailer, they had lines. They definitely had lines outside stores, lots of people investing in uh, vitamin D (laughs) in those days. And so they came up with a way using one of our solutions to actually go out into the parking lot and effectively sell from the parking lot. So the point was rather than wait until you get in the store, if you know what you want, or if you wanted to come in so that you could talk to somebody, then I'm going to bring the somebody out to you so that we can help you and help shorten that wait. And you don't necessarily have to just wait until you get in the store in order to either figure out what you want or get what you need. I think about them a lot because they kind of talked about it as a one-time phenomenon. But as we're heading into the Christmas season and the new year and their cases are on the rise and it's just not clear when we're going to have all of this under control in any way, shape or form, and states and cities are putting in new lockdowns, I think about them and I think about, okay, so it's not going to be too much longer before they're probably going to be rolling that out again. Because as soon as you have a line in the parking lot, then you know those are customers that you need to serve. And if you can't serve them in time, they it's very easy for them to kind of get back into their car and drive away. So I think about kind of that, that they thought of it as a, as a quick solve to a one-time problem that may yet come back again, that they'll have to roll out that kind of process. Another customer that is really interesting is Pets at Home. So they're a UK pet store retailer. And like in the US, there was a mass adoption of animals during shutdowns where people wanted something, someone, if they were alone, to keep them company. And the mobile aspect of serving a customer as they're suddenly finding themselves in a whole new world, maybe that they're, they weren't accustomed to before in serving the needs of a pet. So they have mobile devices that have like checklists that can help walk customers through. If you got a puppy, here's all the things you need to think about and all the things that you need. If you got a kitten, then here's all the things that you need. If you got, I don't know, a ferret, then here's all the things that you need to think about. So being able to really in a directed way, help customers when they saw unprecedented demand for for something at a level that they had never seen before, being able to respond to that and kind of untether their store associates to, to help customers in that way 
I think was really interesting. And I think, I think we'll see more and more, right? They're trying to, from a safety perspective, but also I think it will continue from a convenience perspective, just make it easier for the customer to make their purchase without having to interact with so many devices or so many people to kind of streamline that process and yet still provide a high service level as part of that process. Great examples. I think they really reaffirm the importance of kind of making these big moves, right? I love the vitamin shop example. They actually spoke at a retail innovation conference and I loved seeing how they adapted their mindset, right? How they changed and pivoted their priorities, how they still managed to bring the best of tech and high touch service together to deliver upon their brand promise. And they knew full well that the journey's not done, right? And I think that's that's a really important mindset to have, knowing, okay, we stood this up, we got things done, but there's still opportunity for improvement. We're still going to need to monitor, we're going to need to adapt and ensure that we're evolving with this thing, right? No matter what, no matter what it may bring. And I think that that kind of leads me to my next phase or cluster of questions around kind of the cultural impact of this time, because I know we've been hearing so much around the need to be agile, to fail fast. I mean, these have been narrative points in retail for a while now, but I feel like it's been especially accelerated in these times just out of necessity, right? But I can't help but think about just the reality that there are so many businesses facing economic hardship have maybe had to make a few tough financial decisions, kind of a bit of a a tug of war, right? I mean, it's kind of like, okay, we need to invest, but how do we do so in a way that's best for the business and best for our people? I mean, you've had experiences, not just consulting executive teams, but being in in the seat, right, at the boardroom. So what advice or, or guidance would you have for the folks listening right now that may feel like, okay, I know I need to do this, but where do we even start? And how do we ensure that we're making the best decisions? It may not be perfect, but like, how, how do we be swift, but also smart about what we do next? Yeah, I think where it's really coming home to roost, honestly, is in how the executive team views IT. So IT has always been viewed as a cost center to be contained. And yeah, it enables the business, but it enables it from really an efficiency kind of standpoint. Like we always want to look at how does it make things faster, cheaper, And oftentimes the better part of that stool gets set aside. Like, don't tell me that you're going to save me store, a store manager's time or any of that kind of stuff. I don't want to hear about that from, from a benefits perspective of an IT investment. And I think that one thing that the pandemic did really accelerate as it relates to kind of how do you navigate this is that. IT enables the business. Like you can't run as a business without technology anymore, especially if you're in a situation where you have to take the stores off the table in terms of where you're going to make your money. Like if you are depending on online, then you must have IT and it must be agile. So I've fielded a lot of questions around, oh, the economic hardship of everything that's happened, all of these companies that are struggling, digital transformation, that's going to get set on the back burner and it's going to be all about how to survive. 
Um, I'm just not seeing it. I see many more companies who have come to the realization that they could have moved a lot faster if they had made some of the investments in their IT architecture and in their software and in their infrastructure much sooner. If they had made those investments, they wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been as painful. It wouldn't have taken so long. And now they can put kind of a real price tag to it. It's like, if it, if it took you six months to stand up buy online, ship from store, you're counting every one of those days that you're not shipping out of your stores and you're looking at your sales and you know exactly how much it cost you to not have that capability. So it's only been a benefit from the perspective of getting retailers to think much more strategically about the value that technology contributes to the business. And I would say we've seen what happens when you wait too long. There's just too many retailers who no longer exist, who waited too long to make the investments that they needed to really meet consumers how they want to engage. I mean, Toys R Us, <laughs> Linens and Things, <laughs> Comp USA, the world is littered with the remains of some of these companies that didn't make those investments. It becomes a downward spiral to the point where it is your survival on the line. So if you want to survive, it's not about cutting back and ignoring these things. It's about doubling down and investing and making the changes as fast as you possibly can. Because if you wait too long, there's no coming back. And, and that, I think, the pandemic has really kind of seared into people's minds. Okay. Because I, I was going to ask you next about the ROI rationale behind investments, right? Like I know I've had a few conversations with retail executives saying, oh, we had this plan and it was discussed for weeks and months and there's back and forth around, you know, budgeting and strategy. And then boom, like it came and then we were able to stand it up in two weeks. And I was like, like you don't even know it's possible until you have to do it. So do you think that the first wave, like when the pandemic first hit, was almost in a way a barometer or like a checkpoint for them to say, okay, like we didn't have XYZ capabilities and we suffered because of that. So like we just need to invest. We need to put our chips in this. Like I'm trying to understand like from the executive standpoint, is there going to be as much of an emphasis on the ROI potential and what's the long-term investment versus no, like our company, our customers need this. Like we just need to do it. We need to take the risk to make some sort of an impact. Yeah. I mean, I think any responsible executive is going to tell you that ROI is not going to go away. You've got to justify the use of a company's assets and the use of a company's cash. So there's no way that it's going to go away. What I hope retailers do take away is all of the things that they pile on to any kind of change, to an implementation, whether that's a software change or an org change or whatever kind of change it is, um, they pile on all of these requirements that are designed to reduce risk, but in the end, lengthen the timeline to the point where you've introduced a whole new set of risks that that I think a lot of retailers have been blind to in the past. And so the pandemic has really exposed, well, how much, how much risk were you really mitigating in taking these long and lengthy decision cycles and approaches? And, and how much cost did you add to this decision? And how much, much risk did you add in terms of getting to a successful conclusion of this in the approach that you took? And, and I think the pandemic exposed that there's, there's a lot of slack in there that you can take out without 
creating a lot more risk of failure of what it is that you're trying to accomplish. I like that. So the risk of moving versus the risk of not moving in a way like. Yeah, or not moving fast enough or I mean, analysis paralysis has its own risks for sure. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. So we're having this conversation, full disclosure for our listeners, um, right before Thanksgiving weekend, it's going to be going live mid-December. So a bit of slack during a very important couple of weeks. But I think that will make our conversation interesting so folks can kind of reflect and look back. But I'm going to ask you, since you have that analyst history, to kind of look inside your figurative crystal ball. What do you think are going to be the most crucial takeaways or, or trends to kind of come out of the holiday season? Because I know there's so much research leading up to the holidays, but I feel like consumer research around what they say they're going to do is sometimes very different than what they actually do. So, I mean, what do you think is really going to be happening as we get into the heart of the season? Yeah. I mean, one, I will be watching to see if we've offset enough demand into earlier in November and October that we don't have a shipping crunch about the time that this podcast comes out. That one, that one concerns me because it's the worst of both worlds. It's like you had consumer demand and they wanted it and you had the product and you couldn't get it to them. That's just the worst. So I'm definitely interested in that and whether the tactics that retailers are employing now and have been employing really since October, if those worked and pulled enough demand. I hate making these kinds of predictions, but I'll say I don't think that even with the resurgence of the virus, of the pandemic, even with that resurgence, I don't think the holiday season's going to be that bad. I, it might be okay. I I feel like it's going to be okay. <laughs> and that's not just the light at the tunnel from a potential vaccine that's speaking there. Um, just looking at how consumers and retailers have adapted to the constraints that we've had to deal with. I, I think we've kind of figured out if we can be vigilant, we have figured out what it takes to operate in this environment. You know, I think it's been more a case of people letting down their guard, but we know what we need to do. We know we know from the summer how to how to be successful in keeping stores open and keeping people employed and keeping consumers spending that I think this holiday season's going to be okay. I love that you are so positive, Nikki, because I <laughs> I feel like we're surrounded by gloom and doom all the time and I just wanted some holiday light. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I hope. I mean, you know, it's a prediction. So it's yeah. about worth the amount of air I spent on it. So. <laughs> well, we're going to keep our fingers crossed. I know I live five minutes from a shopping mall and a series of shopping centers and people are out. People are being safe, which is good. I'm in New Jersey. So they're pretty, they're pretty diligent here. And I think it's going to be more interesting to see the context in which people celebrate the holidays. So I think people are still going to be buying, but how are they going to be getting gifts to their friends and family members? Like what services or solutions are are they going to be embracing or relying on in order to celebrate? So I think it's kind of like the ripple effect of, of the holiday season will be for sure interesting to watch. But you did know a little bit earlier that even though we're kind of in the in the heart of the holidays, so to speak, that retailers are, of course, thinking about the next step, their strategy for 2021, how they kind of reach the next level of optimization, especially from an omni-channel perspective. So any closing thoughts, recommendations for all of the folks listening right now that are trying to 
stay focused on the day-to-day, of course, but always thinking about the next step. Any any closing thoughts there? I mean, definitely be prepared for that pendulum to swing back. You know, we've been out of the stores as much as most people possibly can, with the exception of grocery stores, but I don't know how countries plan on dealing with a rollout of a vaccine. And like, at what point do you say, we're done, hooray, and everybody has a big, huge party. But whatever that day is, man, stores are going to be packed (laughs) and retailers need to prepare for that, which is a good thing to have to be prepared for. And I know it's hard to think about that at a time when the virus seems to be peaking again. But I'm holding on to that light at the end of the tunnel with both hands, let me tell you. Ditto, ditto. Well, Nikki, as always, really appreciate your insights, your great perspectives. Again, you have so many hats. You come from so many different angles and experiences in the retail world, analyst, executive, partner. So it's always fascinating to dig into these trends with you. So really appreciate you taking the time out to speak with me today. Anytime. And to all of you listening, appreciate you as well. It's always fun to catch up with some retail folks, talk shop, dig into some of the trends that we think really matter right now. And if you are listening and have any follow-up questions for Nikki, drop us a line on Twitter at our touch points. We'd be happy to facilitate those follow-up conversations or check out our notes section on your preferred podcast player for some recommended resources. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the pod. We're having weekly conversations around the latest trends, tech, and tactics to help you drive your business forward. Thanks again, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.